0: In 1804, John Quincy Adams was 14 years old. And I tell you that because in 1804, at the ripe old age of 14, John Quincy Adams was a diplomat appointed by Congress to go to the court of Catherine the Great of Russia so that she might recognize this fledgling country called the United States as a sovereign nation. One year later, at the age of 15, he would travel from France by train to, uh, to, from Russia by train to Paris, stopping on his way in Stockholm, Sweden, to negotiate a trade deal between the United States and Sweden. I think we could say times are different today. I think we could say that today times have changed, and most likely it is not for the better. Or for the stronger. Ray Ortland cites statistics from 2007, so think pre Great Recession. He says as of 2007, 25 year old white men, one in four were living at home with their mom and dad. One in four. In 2000, the number was one in five. In 1970, it was less than one in eight. Ortland rightly states that these men have no jobs, they have no homes, they have no marriages. If they have jobs, they are not jobs of substance, they are jobs of hobby. That these are not men, in fact, these are boys. I say all of that to say this I believe. That there are men and there are young families and there are upcoming children that are on the verge of missing the greatness of Christ in all of his splendor, in the fullness of their lives because they are not being raised up in the ways of the Lord. They're not pursuing the Lord in maturity, pursuing the Lord with initiative and work ethic and fervor and passion and energy. You see, when you read the scriptures, God often calls young boys to be men way before they ever believe that they're ready. As a youth, Joshua was an assistant to Moses. As a child, Samuel was called by God to the ministry. At eight years old, King Josiah was used by God to bring revival and reformation to the people of God. David was anointed as king as a very young man. I am convinced that God wants to use our young families and God wants to use our young men and God wants to use the people that are not even hearing my voice this morning to raise them up and to use great works for the kingdom of God through them. So that is my burden this morning. My burden this morning is that we would have parents That we would have the discipleship happening in the lives of our children, happening in the lives of our young people, happening in the lives of our youth. So that they are raised up not as men of this weak, cowardice culture. But as men who can stand with spines of steel, women who will walk against the currents of the earth to pursue the greatness of Christ in the kingdom of God. Not greatness according to this world, but greatness that puts themselves last and the Lord first. And if we are going to see a generational revival and a generational reformation, it must begin in the homes of God our children. Amen. So if you have your copy of God's Word today, I ask that you turn with me to Proverb 22.6. Proverb 22.6. This is almost universally known. Often it is misunderstood. But we are going to read it together. So stand with me as we read God's Word. Proverb 22, 6. I know you're excited because it's just one verse and you think the sermon will be shorter. (laughs) But I got a lot to say. So Proverb 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his inerrant word this morning. You may be seated. When you open up the Bible, when you open up particularly the wisdom literature, I'm thinking Psalms, I'm thinking Job, I'm thinking Proverbs. When you open up the wisdom literature of the Bible, it is in fact throughout the whole Bible, but particularly particularly in the wisdom literature of the Bible, one of the things that is made evidently clear over and over again, it's restated uh, uh, as frequently as anything is restated in the whole of the Bible, it says that children are a blessing from God. Children are a blessing from God. Children are to be a source of profound joy in the lives of their parents, in the lives of their fathers, in the lives of their mothers, a joy that really can't be found or duplicated anywhere else in all of the world. If you think about back to the psalm that we read during the prayer time, what did it say? Psalm 127 says that blessed is the man whose quiver is full of children. And Aaron Hall said, Amen. You know. It says that that the more that you have, the more opportunity for joy, the more opportunity for blessing that you have in your life, that the the multiplicity of children in a house is a a sign, a picture, a glimpse of a, a profound blessing from God. Throughout the Proverbs, it says, like Proverb 10.1, says that a wise son makes his father's heart glad. You, you find this throughout the Proverbs, restated again and again, that children are intended by God to bring a gladness to our hearts, to bring a joy to our hearts, to bring an, an energy to our hearts. They are to be a, a crown on the head of their mother, they are to be a testament to the Faithfulness of their father, that children are to be a source of joy. And the book of Proverbs primarily concerns itself with figuring out how to raise up children and train up children so that their parents might know the fullness of this joy, the fullness of gladness that is available to them from God. So that they might realize the blessing that they have there in their house and be able to realize the fullness and the full manifestation of that blessing. Now, if you take the worldview of the Bible, the view that the Bible has of children, the view of the Bible has of people, the view the Bible has of family, and you lay it beside our co- our current culture, you will see a stark contrast. A stark contrast. We live in a culture that laments children. We live in a culture in which says that Children are such an inconvenience. Children are such a cramping of your style. Children are such an intrusion into your life. That if they come and you are not wanting them and you are not expecting them, you should eradicate them and eliminate them. See, we live in a culture that says it's better to be financially successful. It's better to be socially free. Than it is to be blessed by boys and girls. What I want you to see, brothers and sisters, is that this is an anti gospel view. This is an anti gospel view. And when I say that, I'm saying something as strongly as I know how to say it. Think of what the gospel is, brothers and sisters. The gospel is saying that there is a heavenly father that sent his own son to die on behalf of us, that he might find gladness in us, that he might find joy in us, that he might find pleasure in us, that he might be blessed in us. And so for us to misunderstand that in any way children are to be an inconvenience or an intrusion is to fundamentally misunderstand who God is and what God has done. No, parenting provides us with the unique opportunity to demonstrate and to better understand the parental, paternal love of our Heavenly Father. Parenting provides for us an opportunity to go deeper with God than we could have went in any other way. So the scriptures say, fill your quiver full. He blesses them in the Garden of Eden. And what is that blessing? That blessing is children. Be fruitful and multiply. So here's what I would start with. Pursue joy in children and through children. I say that very deliberately. Pursue joy in children and through children. So let the the, the in children part. Here's what I'm saying. If you are a young married couple, have children. Have children. If you are a middle-aged married couple, get you some kids. Amen, Alan? Get some kids. Not to say that you're middle-aged, my dear brother. And in my mind, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I am not limiting this biologically in any way, shape, or form. Not even a little bit. Can I just tell you that I am a member of the family of God and I was adopted. And that does not lessen my joy in the family of God. It increases my joy in the family of God. I am a son of the Most High King because the Most High King wanted me and desired me and adopted me. All right? I'm not talking about biologically. Man, have biological children. We have biological children. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. I know that there are some of you in here and you're thinking, man, I can't have biological. And and you're almost, you're, you're heartbroken even when we begin to talk about parenting. You can be a mom and you can be a dad. I think about Sarah. Sarah was a mom for like 90 years before she really had a child. But the Lord had sown motherhood into her heart. It just took a while for it to come to fruition. Some of you are already mothers. You just don't have children yet. Praise God. But pursue them. Pursue them. I'm going to be, can I just be a prophetic here for just a second? I'm going I'm to tell you that what you're going to see over the next 10 or 20 years is you are going to see that it is going to become increasingly abnormal for young couples To first of all be married, but to second of all have children. It's going to become increasingly mainstream for couples to spend all of their time on cruises and all of their time globetrotting around the world. And all of their time on expensive gym memberships and to have no children because children are an intrusion. It's going to become especially abnormal to have multiple children. It's going to become even more abnormal than that to have children when you are young. But pursue children. Pursue children. Perhaps some of you, you you've made the decision that that and you've uh, went through with permanent procedures that will not allow you to have any more biological children. You're not off the hook, brothers and sisters. Foster them, adopt them, pursue children in the Lord as a gospel opportunity to demonstrate the joy of the Lord and to demonstrate the mercies of God and the goodness of God as the Father, the paternal head of the Trinity. And if you already have them, as the Lord increases your fold, as the Lord fills your quiver, pursue joy in the children that you now have. You know, every season of life has things about it that are particularly difficult. Every season of life has built-in excuses for unfaithfulness. Every season of life has built-in excuses to to avoid finding joy in that season. But you know, what? at the very same time, on the flip side, if you're pursuing joy in the Lord, what you'll find is every season of life brings with it a unique opportunity to honor the Lord and find joy in the Lord. You know, there, there are times when my four-month-old's not sleeping, that it's hard to find joy in the Lord. But then she smiles, and I celebrate it like she just won the Pulitzer Prize. I remember when Gracie was being potty trained. You think that won't get you right with the Lord? You think, you think that won't get you to the end of your row? But then all of a sudden, she has a bowel movement, and we're celebrating it like she just cured cancer. There's unique opportunities of joy. Yeah, well, I just said bowel movement in a sermon. Is that not awesome? Is that not awesome? We have church here in Iron City, don't we? is that awesome? There are unique opportunities of joy. With your children, don't get so wrapped up in the world. Don't get so wrapped up in your your job. Don't get so wrapped up in what Psalm one twenty seven would see as as the vanities of life that you miss the opportunities of joy that the Lord is presenting to you. Man, if you've got a toddler, pursue joy in your toddler. If you've got an infant, pursue joy. a a preteen, pursue joy in your preteen, your adolescent, your adult child, your grandchildren, wherever you are on the spectrum, pursue joy in them. They are a gift to you from the Lord and are intended to be a source of gladness in your soul. He says the the common translation across the board, probably in every translation here in verse 6, is to begin with the word train. Train up a child in the way that he should go. It's it's not a bad translation it's a, it's a good translation but virtually every single place that I read this week said that a stronger translation of the word train is to use the word dedicate. To dedicate your child to the way of the Lord, to dedicate your child, and and it brings into mind uh, a, a religious ceremony. It brings into mind not just not just training them up to be good bankers and training them up to be good students and training them up to be good athletes, but instead of setting them aside, of consecrating them in the name of the Lord. This morning I want to ask you: have you ever dedicated your child to the Lord? Have you ever ever set your child aside and say, God, I want this child to be for you. This is not my child, this is your child. Whatever you have for their life, whoever you want her to become, whoever you want him to be, Lord, I want you to make them be. I want you to use this child to save them by your grace and then use them for your glory. Whatever that means. This is not my child, Lord, but this is your child. You know, just a couple of weeks ago on uh, Mother's Day, Megan and I dedicated our youngest, Sarah. And there's always uh, a, a process for me. That's always uh, a time of reflection for me. It has been both times and because I, I, there's some sense in which I understand the weightiness of that moment. I understand the severity of that moment and the gravity of that moment. I understand that if I mean what I pray, if I mean that this child is truly dedicated to the Lord, that she could be a missionary behind jihadist lines in a dangerous Muslim country for the gospel. I realize that if I truly mean what I say in dedicating her for the Lord, that she is his and whatever he sees fit, that perhaps he will call her away for decades of her life where all her mother and I are able to do are pray and seek his face for her protection and her welfare and her gospel effectiveness. I understand that perhaps she will marry a preacher that goes to the Pacific Northwest to reach a particularly secular part of our country. And so it's reflective for me as I'm going through and saying, Lord, do I really mean this? Lord, do I really mean this? But there's a twofold picture here, and that's why the word dedicate can be used, and that's why the word train can be used. But you see, it's not enough just to say I'm going to set aside my little girl for the gospel. It's not enough just to say that I'm, I'm dedicating her to the Lord. I must then act upon that reality and train her up to live according to the nature of that dedication. I must work in her life intentionally. I must seek God's face on her behalf. I must teach her and train her and discipline her and love her and disciple her and bring her into the church so that she's not just set aside in theory. But she's being trained to grow and trained to work out the nature of that dedication in her life. Remember what James said. James said, faith without works is dead. What is a dedication that never is acted upon by mom and dad? You see, before you dedicate your child, you better dedicate yourself. That's why here we don't just call it baby dedication. We call it parent-child dedication. You better dedicate yourself. Are you a dedicated Christian? Are you following after the Lord? Because you may be able to fake out your preacher. And you may be able to fake out your co-workers. But you will not fake out your home. You will not fake out those little girls and those little boys that you come home to every day. They will know about your character and they will know about your integrity and they will know about your walk with the Lord. They will know about your kindness and your generosity. They will know about the degree of which your faith is brought into your life and lived out. You can fake out everybody else with a a, a nice pressed shirt and a pretty smile, but you can't fake out him and her. So I ask you, have you dedicated yourself? Are you a dedicated Christian? And for just a second, can I talk to our men? I find it way too often that we hand over the responsibility of discipling our children and raising our children in the Lord to our wives. Men have bought into the concept that as long as I make enough money, as long as I keep the house safe, everything else is off the plate for me but the bible re- re- first and foremost recognizes the man the father the dad the husband as the spiritual discipler of his family are you are you you, you might say i don't know a lot i don't i don't have a lot of information I don't, I don't really know a lot about the Scriptures. Has there ever been a better reason to read it? Has there ever been a, a better reason to go deep? And you already know more than they knew. No. So start there, bring them to where you are, and you just keep going farther and farther and farther and bringing your family, bringing your wife, bringing your children along with you. You don't have to know everything when they're six months old. You don't have to know everything when they're six years old or 16 years old. You just need to know more than they know and keep bringing them along with you and discipling them in the Lord. But you cannot give them what you don't have, brothers. You cannot give them what you don't have. Do you know the Lord? Are you a dedicated Christian yourself? Some of you this morning are are single parents and you're super people, you're superheroes. I honestly don't know how you do what you do, and I'm not. I, who knows about what what circumstances led to where you are? But can I just first of all just commend you that you're right here right now. That is difficult, and I know it. It's difficult for you to get your children up and to get them all dressed and you've, you're kind of worn out from the week and you're worn out from being mom and being dad. You're worn out from providing and the nurturing and doing all that's involved in all of that and you kind of come in here and you're kind of beaten down. First of all, let me commend you in the Lord that you're here. That's dedication. But can I also just offer our, us to you and say don't do this by yourself. Don't do this by yourself. God gave you the church. If you will let us in, if you will let us know how we can be in your life, if you will come and be a part of this fellowship, let us bear that burden with you. Let us stand with you. We've got some people here that don't have young kids in their house, but they love young kids and would love to be a part of your child's life. We've got pastors here who obviously love kids. We keep on having them. We want to be in your life, and we want to shepherd you through this. Let us bear the burden with you, because I know it is impossibly difficult. You don't have to be alone, because you are in the church, and that's what the church does, and that's what this church is going to do, and we're going to get better at it, and better at it, and better at it. So it says, train up a child, dedicate a child to the Lord, and then it says, uh, In in the second half of verse 6, it says, train a child up in the way he should go, in the way he should go. So in the, in the mind of the author here what he's saying is he's saying start a child as young as you can possibly start them and start them on the right road start them on the right path that they will continue on that path and build for them uh, a clarity build for them guardrails make sure that they kind of stay on this path and the hope is, is that they will start on this road and over the course of their life maintain on this road and, and remain in this road and grow in godliness and grow and wisdom. So, so it's in the mind of the author here that a, a parent's responsibility is to shape the moral and the spiritual compass of the child that, that it, it's in their mind that he, that, that he's, he's teaching them to, to, to know where where due north is that they might go after Jesus they might move closer and closer and closer to the cross. See, in the book of Proverbs, there's really only two paths. Matter of fact, if you think about throughout the scriptures, there's really only two paths there's the path of wisdom, and there's the path of foolishness. There's the path of wisdom that leads to life, and there's the path of of foolishness that leads to demise and leads to destruction. Jesus paints the path of wisdom as a narrow path that only a few people find, but they find life as they move along that path. But they find, He t- paints the foolish path as being a wide path upon which many people, most people are going, and they find at the end dem- their demise. So the picture here is that mom and dad would start their children on a trajectory Would start their children on a path that kind of moves them toward godliness, moves them down the narrow path, that they build the guardrails in their life. They bring instruction into their life, they bring teaching and correction into their life to kind of help them navigate down this path. You know what I want you to do? I want you to be visionary parents. Visionary parents. I want you to to think through the kind of man or the kind of woman that you most admire. I want you to think through the man or the woman that you know that has a character that you admire, has integrity that you admire. They live out the fruit of the Spirit. They're kind people and gentle people and compassionate people. They're generous people. They're they're soft-spoken, but they're, they're full of truth and full of wisdom. They're people that are are characterized by Christ-likeness and godliness. And I want you to dream that that's your child. That's your child. I want you to have that vision in your mind and then with every fiber in your being, go after that vision. Do things in your life to help your child be on the path that gets to that destination. Because it's not enough just to be a well-intentioned parent. It's not enough just to have good intentions for your children. You must set them on a path of righteousness. You must set them on an abnormal path from this world or they're going to drift into all kinds of foolishness. Have a vision. This should be something that husbands and wives are talking about together. Who do you want your children to be? What do you want them to accomplish? Because you want to know what will bring gladness into your heart? Do you want to know what will be a crown resting on your head? When one day your daughter, one day, your son is a woman or a man that you profoundly respect. One day, when you see them giving generously, one day, when you see them going to the ends of the earth with the gospel. One day when you see them raising their children in the ways of the Lord and loving the Lord. One day when you see them having a marriage and they're totally committed and they're all in with one another. One day when you see them living out integrity even when it costs them a dollar. When you see that in them and you admire that in them and you respect that in them. That will bring gladness to your heart that not one dollar on earth can buy. So let me ask you is the is the path if your child remains on the path that you've started them on how close to Jesus will they be how close to Jesus will they be if they continue on in the direction that you've charted for them, if they continue on in the things that you're modeling for them, if they continue on and doing what you are, are teaching them to do and showing them to do and living out in your own life, if they continue on according to the moral compass that you have placed in their hearts, how close to Jesus will they get? See, I have found it to be very true over ten years 11 years of ministry, I guess now, that parents are typically shocked when their teenager goes off course. Parents are typically shocked when their teenager doesn't want to come to church anymore. They're typically shocked when they find out that their teenager is living according to all kinds of ungodliness and doing all kinds of things. And yet they showed no urgency in bringing them to the house of the Lord when they were children. They, they, when they spoke of the church, they spoke of it negatively. They, they loathed it. They begrudgingly went and endured the sermons and talked about how long they were. They always were critical of the things that were happening. And then they went home, went to the top of the river, went about their life, and never brought glory to God for one second during the week. And their children have been indoctrinated. Indoctrinated. They've been indoctrinated that church is a burden. They've been indoctrinated that church is an inconvenience. They've been indoctrinated that faith is just a ritual that we have to go through and endure one hour a week. They have not pursued the ways of God And because they have started and indoctrinated their children in such a path, it is no wonder the child went astray. The child didn't go astray. The child went down the path they were always on. If they continue on the path that you're charting, they continue in the direction that you're going, it's only logical that they're going to end up at the end where you're headed where they're headed how close to Jesus will they get brothers and sisters how is the question right you feel the burden you've got the the vision of who you want your children to be you've got the vision of the kind of man you want him to be you've got the vision of the kind of woman that you want her to be so the question is is how how do, I, how do I raise them that way? How do I keep them on that path? How do I move them along so that they are, are headed down the narrow path of righteousness? How? I think there are, are two means that the book of Proverbs gives us. I've mentioned them both in passing already, but I want to go into them more in more detail now. The first means, I think we see right here in verse 6, and we see it throughout the book of Proverbs. In fact, you might see the whole book of Proverbs as being this means, and that would be positive instruction. Positive instruction. Isn't that what we see here in verse 6? It's saying, train your child up. Teach your child. Dedicate your child. Train them to know who God is. Train them to follow after God. Train them to know the ways of wisdom. Train them to go down the path of wisdom, train them, teach them, give them this positive instruction. You might think back to last week when we talked out of Proverbs chapter 5, and you have the, the father positively instructing his son on how to pursue a wife and what to ignore to keep himself out of danger. Those scenarios had not happened yet. This was a proactive teaching. This was a Proactive training. And so he's, he's trying to positively teach and instruct his child, instruct his son in the ways of wisdom so that his son won't fall into all kinds of destruction, so that his son won't ultimately meet his demise. You see, parents have a God-given responsibility to develop the worldview of their children. Parents have a God-given responsibility to develop The worldview of their children. That's where we get our worldview is in the home, right? All of you, if you think back through your life, you know this. That one of two things has happened most likely in your life. Anything else is an absolute aberration and an anomaly. But one of two things most likely has happened in your life. One... You admired your mom and dad, and you respected your mom and dad. You didn't always obey them right. You didn't always abide by their worldview, but you admired who they were. And as you grew as a man, as you grew as a woman, you began to slowly take on a worldview that is very similar to theirs. Or two. You so despised and rejected your mom and dad's worldview that you have went the polar opposite. You are now in stark contrast to your mom and dad. But either way, people develop their worldview in the home. And if people develop the way that they see God and the way they see the world in the home, shouldn't we be intentional about developing that? Shouldn't we put a lot of thought into how to form a worldview in our children so that they grow up to be men and women of wisdom, men and women of godly character? Shouldn't we be very thoughtful and intentional and go after that in their lives? What is more important? What is more important? You see, it's not enough to tell your children they need to love God. That's not enough. It sounds like enough. It's not even enough for them to come to church and be baptized so that they don't go to hell. That's not enough. That is not an understanding of New Testament Christianity. Discipling your children, training your children is not only telling them that they must love God, but showing them how to live for God. It's to show them that that those things are never separated from one another, teaching them that those things always go hand in hand, that if you love God with all of your heart, mind, strength, and soul, you will live for God with every ounce of your being. So it's teaching your children to both love God and to live for God. It's teaching them to how to how to take God's word, how to take the gospel, and to lay it over all of life and to use it as the lens through which life is interpreted. It's teaching them that as a Christian, this is what marriage looks like. This is how we deal with money. This is how we process through work and job and career. This is what dating looks like. This is how it infiltrates every corner of our life. It's the development not of something that we are supposed to believe, but the development of the way that we see the world and think about the world. It's our worldview. And I think we... Just kind of think we're going to drift into it somehow. That If we just go to church enough, if they go to youth camp every year, if we say a blessing, that somehow we're going to, to drift into a biblical worldview. We're going to drift into someone who lives out godly character and pursues God with all of their lives. But what I want you to see is that this is an issue of discipleship. This is an issue of discipleship. And who is it addressed to? Who is it addressed to? Who is it addressed to Is the, the primary discipler of the child? Who is it that it's addressed to that is the a primary shaper of the world view? It's not to professionals. It's not to the pastor. It's not to the youth pastor. It's addressed to mom and dad. I believe very well that one day I will stand and give an account for the godliness of this congregation. It is the severity with which I preach every single week. If you want to know why I'm as intense as I am, that's the reason. Is I know I preach in the face of God every single week. But I will not give the greatest account for your children. You will. You will. I will give a greater account for Gracie Kate and Sarah Eliza than I will for your children. And you will give a greater account for their godliness than I will. You have the responsibility to disciple them in the ways of God, to disciple them in the ways of godliness, to disciple them in the scriptures, to indoctrinate them with the tenets of the faith, to build for them a firm foundation on which all of their life can be built, all of their marriage can be built, all of their parenting can be built. You have that responsibility. The church is going to come in and support you Our job is to equip you, mom and dad, for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4 says. And so we're going to come in and do everything in our power to preach the gospel to you and teach the gospel to you and to give you resources. But at the end of the day, you are the one in the bedroom of your child. You are the one that they are watching deal with the, peop- the guy on the phone and the person at work. You're the person that they're watching spend money or save money or give money. You're the one they're watching. And it's your responsibility. And I hope that rests heavily on you. I hope that's resting heavily upon you. Because the only question you have to ask is whether the Bible is true or not. And if the Bible is true, you are responsible, brothers and sisters. And I remind you that discipleship is as much caught as it is taught. Discipleship is as much caught as it is taught. Pessimistic parents raise pessimistic children. Greedy parents raise greedy children. Materialistic parents raise materialistic children most of the time. And most of the time, godly parents raise godly children. Most of the time, generous parents raise generous children. Kind parents raise kind children. Happy parents raise happy children. They're following after you, brothers and sisters. They're following after you. Would you run after Jesus? Would you run after Jesus so they can follow you to the cross? Would you run after Jesus so that they can follow you to the means of grace? Would you follow, run after Jesus so they can follow you and the fruit of the Spirit? Disciple your children intentionally. Shape their worldview. The second means that the Proverbs give us, we see in verse 15. Verse 15 of chapter 22 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So you have positive instruction, and you have corrective discipline. Positive instruction, this is the path, continue down this path, pursue this path, walk this path. Corrective discipline, when you get off the path, I'm going to make sure you get back on the path. When you when you when you want to start very, veering off to the wide path, when you want to start veering off to the path of foolishness, I'm going to make sure you get back on the right path by any means necessary, because I, your salvation, your soul, your life is at stake, and I will not take that lying down. See, the issue here is what. Verse 15 says, and this is what our society doesn't believe, and this is what practically too few Christians believe. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of your child. See, everybody wants to say that children are innocent and sweet and pure. And look, there's a kindness to children, I'll get that. And there is a beauty to their, to their naivete, right? That, 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 is, that, is, that, that you kind of wish you could recapture sometimes. But they are fools. And they are not pure. And they are not good. They are sinners. Sinners. Everybody in here that's had a kid, you know that kid is a sinner. They were born a sinner. They will die a sinner. They are sinners. You try to get them to eat their vegetables because it's good for them if they eat their vegetables. And a negotiation breaks out like it's the Cuban Missile Crisis. You tell them to go to bed because it's good for them to get rest. They'll have a better day tomorrow if they get rest. And it's like you're sending them to the electric chair. Because their folly is bound up in their hearts. Your children are not morally neutral. And that's why the Proverbs say... That if you just, a child is left to his own devices, if a child is left on his own, he will bring shame to his mother. Because the only natural path is the wrong path. Your child's heart deceives them. Your child's heart lies to them. Your child's heart is desperately wicked, Jeremiah says. So it has to be driven from them. It has to be driven from them. See, corporal punishment is not a suggested option in the the Bible. I know that's politically incorrect. I know that that's culturally taboo. But corporal punishment is not a suggestion of the Bible. It's a command. A command. As a matter of fact, the Bible goes so far as to say that corporal punishment in the home is an issue of love and hatred. Proverb thirteen twenty four says, "If you hate your, son, uh, if you spare the rod, you hate your son. But if you love your son, you will diligently discipline him." It's an issue of love and hate, of, of foolishness and wickedness, of foolishness and wisdom, wisdom. That if you love your son, you will discipline your son. If you love your daughter, you will spank your daughter. That's what he's saying. Straightforward. It's not not ambiguous. Not unclear. If you leave them on their own, if you don't discipline them, if you don't bring hard, difficult discipline into their life, they will go astray and they will shame you. Now, maybe you would say, but that just seems unkind. That, that, there just has to be another way. That seems, that seems unchristian. That seems immoral. To believe that. To believe that spanking, to believe that corporal punishment in the home is unholy is to believe that God himself is unholy. I don't know how much stronger to say that. Proverbs chapter 3 says what? God disciplines those he loves. God disciplines those he loves. Hebrews 12 brings the comparison perfectly between the discipline of a father and a son ex- implied being corporal punishment, and the discipline of God and his children. And it says that God, like a father, disciplines his children so that they might share in his holiness. So to believe and to have that kind of view of discipline is to believe that God himself is unholy when he disciplines. But in fact, it's an act of grace, an act of love, an act of mercy. And our discipline is an act of grace. Our discipline is an act of mercy. Our discipline, in fact, is an act of worship when it is done to correct the child and to glorify the Lord. See, at stake here is the gospel, brothers and sisters. If your children do not understand the severity of their sin toward you, how will they ever understand the severity of their sin before God? And so I had a professor one time that gave me, that I sat in his class and I just took wrote down everything the man said. He has nine children, seven of whom are adopted, most of whom come from horrific situations and were later in life adoptions. Like He didn't have them as babies. They already had significant issues coming into his home. And the Lord has done an act of grace. This is a man who's not saying from theory, all right? Some of y'all are thinking, you don't have teenagers, don't talk to me. Hear from somebody speaking through me that's got nine, Okay? And then there's this whole authority of the Bible thing, but we'll just move on. But he said, in our class, he said, men, you've got to learn how to give a gospel-centered spanking. You've got to learn how to give a gospel-centered spanking. And I had never thought of it in that light before. But this is how, what we're trying to practice in our home, and so just, and as practical as I know how to do, I just want to hand this off and see if this might be an opportunity for you. So the first part of a gospel-centered making is to send them away and cool down. You cannot point people to Jesus when you're a red-faced maniac. You can't do it. You won't do it. You are not filled with the Spirit in that moment. You've got to digress. You've got to get your wits about you. Then chi- go into the room where the child is and explain to them if they're young what they've done wrong. Explain to them that sin always has consequences. If they're of a certain age, you might even have them tell you what they've done wrong. At that time, you tell them, you know, it breaks my heart to have to discipline you. But I discipline you because I love you with all of my heart. And I want more than anything for you to be a healthy person. And I want you to thrive as a person. And I want you to be a godly person. And then you spank them. If they do not respond to the spanking, Dr. Stinson says, you did not spank them hard enough. All right? Now that's practical wisdom, right? You did not spank them hard enough. After which, you always receive their repentance. You always offer them forgiveness. You always offer them grace. You always tell them, Dad is going to forgive you a thousand times a thousand. There will never be something that you do which dad will not forgive you, which mom will not forgive you. And then you are reconciled to them. And then you have them go and be reconciled to anyone else in the family against whom they may have offended or brought offense. If they sinned against mom and dad is doing the correction, you make them go back and tell mom and seek forgiveness with mom and hug mom and be reconciled to her. If it's a brother or sister, you be reconciled. And brothers and sisters, do you see the gospel? That you can use discipline every single week in your house as a pronouncement as a proclamation of the gospel to your child and by which they are strengthened by which they grow in wisdom by which they glorify the Lord if I might speak to the young parents for just a second something else that dr. Simpson said that I thought was so wise and that I've kept in my mind is that you are always raising teenagers You were all, even when they're two and three and four years old, that two-year-old is going to be a teenager one day. That three-year-old, God willing, is going to be a teenager one day. And so he said what most families do is they parent like a a triangle. When they're young, the offenses just don't seem that big a deal. And so you glaze over them. Sometimes you laugh them off. Sometimes you ignore them. And then all of a sudden, they're a 15-year-old rebel, and you want to clamp down. So you're really loose in the beginning, and you try to get really tight in the end, and everything falls apart. He said, actually, if you parent according to the scriptures, it will be an inverted triangle. You'll you'll keep tight reins in the beginning. You will discipline on the first word, not on the count of ten, and then ten more, and then ten more. You'll discipline on the first time every time. And then slowly, what you're able to do is loosen And loosen and loosen. Now, there are going to be moments because they're sinners you have to tighten back down a bit. But you loosen and you loosen and you loosen. And eventually, they leave the nest, right? Eventually, you're able to set them on their own. And they're making the wise decisions on their own. But you're, but you're, you're guarding them along the path of righteousness. And what Proverbs tells us is that even when they are old, they will not depart from it. That there is a crown for parenting like this. There is a reward for parenting this way. Now this is not a a rule. This is not a promise. This is a proverb. Proverbs assumes exceptions. We know that Solomon, who wrote this late in his life, departed from it. So we understand that they are are free-willed creatures. We understand that sometimes the greatest discipline does not work. We understand all of that. But most of the time, when you parent according to the ways of the Lord, when you raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, when they are old, they will be a crown for you, and they will bring joy to you, and they will bring gladness to you. Now, right before I close, very quickly, I want to say a word to the children in here. First of all, we are all children, so there's a sense in which this should be true of every one of us, but especially for those of you who still live under the house and the roof of your mom and dad. The Bible says that you hold in their, your hand their hearts. And I want you to realize that. You hold in your hands the shame or the, or the pride of your mom and dad. You hold in your hands how much they care about you. You hold in their hands their hearts. And they are for you to elevate and to exalt and to honor and to glorify or to throw on the ground and trample. I have taught with mother after mother after mother and father after father after father father over the past 11 years weeping over their children. If you were to be a man of God, if you were to be a young woman of God, you were to be one who honors your parents, who brings them up so they can find gladness in you, and find joy in you, and if you don't feel that burden, you are not a Christian. You are not a Christian. Because if you so misunderstand parental love as that, You are incapable and too immature and too foolish to realize the parental, paternal love of a heavenly father that sent his son to die for you. You hold in your hand the hearts of your mother and father, honor them, follow after them, be teachable, be soft hearted this morning facing every family in here is the same question I asked you two weeks ago. Will you be wise or will you be normal? Will you be wise or will you be normal? Will you raise them according to the instruction of the Lord or will you raise them according to the wisdom of the world? It's going to be humiliating if you raise them according to wisdom. But brothers and sisters, it is going to be worth it. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for parents who showed me path of wisdom. I'm thankful for a mom and a dad that modeled integrity and